All right, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Uh, when I read, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And then uh, Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, also from the New, uh, New International, rather, on both of those uh, when I do read. Can I ask you one more time, if you're able to stand, uh, I want to pray ask God to just speak to us during this time. Father God, in the name of Jesus, uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are able to speak to your people today in 2023 through your word, that God, you have not stopped speaking. You have not stopped leading. You have not stopped working and moving, and we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that as we get ready to go into uh, Holy Week and Good Friday and, and Easter, uh, along with today on Palm Sunday, that, Lord, you are reminding us uh, of the great sacrifices that Jesus made uh, all along the way with us in mind. And so, Lord, uh, as we contemplate, as we uh, just meditate on those things, I pray, God, that we, you would help us to look inward, Lord, to see uh, what it is that we can do, Lord, to, uh, to fully appreciate what you've done, but to apply uh, the things that you have uh, provided for us through your, through your many sacrifices. And so, Lord, just touch your people, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today is the first day of Passion Week. It's also the day that we celebrate the anniversary of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Over 2,000 years ago, the plan of God was set in motion, and we are able to today in 2023 uh, to learn, to, to be able to glean from what happened on that very first Palm Sunday. What happened over 2,000 years ago this upcoming week changed everything. It changed all of history. It changed the present and eternal destiny of all mankind. And when the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom and as a sacrificial offering for all of us, it radically transformed humanity. You see, Jesus made a way through his death and his resurrection for every single person born on planet Earth to be able to experience eternal life. This was the week that Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, King David and Isaiah and all of the prophets had looked forward to with great anticipation. This was the week that all of heaven had been looking forward to since the fall of man. This was the week that Jesus Christ would begin the final steps of his mission to seek and to save the lost on planet earth, all of which, of course, brings us back to today, Palm Sunday. See, by all worldly viewpoints, Jesus is about to have nothing but supposed failures. But these failures were sufferings that contrasted God's nature with mankind's nature to control and to dominate. And so Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He washes his disciples' feet. A close friend betrays him. He is spat upon. He is abandoned. He is beaten, he is whipped, he is tried, he is convicted of being king of the Jews, which, by the way, is exactly what he is. And finally, we know that he was crucified. We know that he died on a cross. We know that he was buried. 
in a tomb. The, these events contrast God's holiness with humanity's sinfulness. You see, when something is put under force or under trauma, you find out exactly what it's made of, don't you? Like, what, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Lemon juice. And what do you get when you squeeze an orange? Orange juice. And so what happens when the Lord of all creation, when the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, rides into town on a donkey, stoops down to wash his disciples' feet, is betrayed by a trusted friend, again spat upon, abandoned, beaten, whipped, tried, convicted, crucified, yes, dies, is buried, and rises again from the grave. What do you get when that happens? Well, you get a crystal clear picture of God's core nature of self-giving love. We know that Jesus Christ endured the cross events and, and he did it for you and I, didn't he? He did it to, to save humanity because there was no alternative. And in doing so, he demonstrated that he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God who came into the world to save humanity, not condemn it. Today, we're going to focus on his courageous entrance into Jerusalem. Again, sometimes we read things and we gloss over them, not really taking into consideration all that it took for Jesus to do what he did. After all, he is a courageous king. And so let's go to our text, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Again, reading from the NIV and see what we can learn from it. Beginning at verse 1, the Bible says that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Unite them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I remember the first time I read this, I was like, that's kind of cool. You just uh, expect for something like that to happen. How many times we would like to have things set in motion before we get to it. But Jesus being who he is, uh, you know, say to them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying to, to daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples, verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, right? They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. I guess there's some kind of controversy out there. I, I never caught it either. This is the only gospel where it refers to the, uh, uh, the donkey and the colt. It's usually just a donkey. And so some have argued, was it one or was it two? And I'm like, what does it matter? He, he rode on a donkey. He fulfilled scripture. And so it's there. We, we know that he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their cloaks down on the ground for Jesus, on, on them for Jesus to sit on, and they spread their cloaks on the road while others did what? They cut branches, palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted what? Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, 
the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So listen, the story begins with Jesus approaching Jerusalem. From the other Gospels, we know that his disciples tried to convince him to do otherwise. Like this was going to be a, a, a very dangerous place. But before he enters, we know that Jesus sends two of his disciples to a nearby village to return with a donkey and a colt. Like I said, the only gospel that refers to them both. And so the disciples do what they're told. Good of them, right? Obey. Whenever Jesus tells you to do something, you do what? You obey or you should. Amen. They do what they're told. They return with them. And Jesus rides slowly into town. The text tells us that this was done to fulfill a prophecy from Zechariah in the Old Testament, who we know that Zechariah had envisioned a future Messiah. Zechariah 9 and verse 9 says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As we get into our message this morning, you're going to maybe take away from it that maybe they stopped halfway in that verse if they even remembered it. And see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. And so there was a mindset of what their Messiah would look like, uh, uh, the, what their Messiah would be uh, appearing to them as. We know that it goes on to say lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Listen, at first glance, this seems kind of weak, especially for the arrival of a king. And yet the opposite is true. Because this morning, we know from Scripture that Jesus has all authority. How many of you know that Jesus has all authority? Jesus has all the power. We sang this morning about there is power in the name of Jesus. And I don't know about you, I'm so glad that somebody has all the power because I don't. I'm so glad that when I'm tired and when life has beat up on me and, and it looks like I might have a little bit of strength left and even that little strength can't do what I need it to do for my week or for my day or for whatever I'm facing, I know at this very moment that Jesus has all authority, Jesus has all power, and he's able to use it on your behalf. Aren't you glad this morning? Hallelujah. Jesus has all authority. There are a couple things going on in the story that I want us to take note of. So what about the riding on a donkey? Uh, uh, what did that mean? What did that signify? It signified peace. You see, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is, highly, is a highly intentional move by Jesus. It wasn't an accident that he ended up on a donkey. See, in the ancient world, if a king rode into town on a horse, he intended war and aggression. That was what a horse signified. But if he rode into town on a donkey, he intended peace. And so Jesus, we know that he rode into town on a donkey to literally demonstrate that his kingship will be one of peace. Listen, in this world, we have wars. In this, war, in this world, we have battles. But Jesus has come into this world to be the prince of peace. Amen? to be the one who is able to, to calm a situation down. And there was already, already all kinds of commotion going on in the nation at the time. And they may have thought that they needed someone to come in with zeal and with power to overtake the enemy. But Jesus is saying, uh, I, you know, that might, you might think you want that. You might think you need that. But I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Peace. Amen. 
Zechariah 9.10 goes on to say, I will take the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the, bat and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nation. Say peace. His rule will extend from seas to seas. Listen, I love God's peace. Whenever my life is without it or whenever I'm distant from it, turmoil does not feel good. Anybody say amen, amen to that? Turmoil does not feel good. And so I love it that riding on a donkey signified peace and that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Anyways, right here in Matthew, there's a messianic prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling. He's doing it. He's the anointed one, right? He's the Messiah, the king, coming into town, proclaiming peace instead of conflict, declaring that war is over and there will be no more violence. There's going to be a day when we're going to be able to say that, amen, because Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a day when all the accounts have been settled and when the kingdoms of this world that have battled and that have proclaimed wars and have done all kinds of things in the name of one thing or, or someone, it's going to all be reconciled because the Prince of Peace will rule forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Listen, I don't think the disciples or the crowds fully understood what Jesus was actually doing right before their eyes. And if they did, they didn't like it. Amen? See, the Jews had experienced so much oppression by their rulers and the government that they were expecting their Messiah in of the oppressors, but Jesus had a greater plan in mind. Listen, some of us, sometimes we would like for God to do something a certain way. Amen? A couple of us. Amen. We want God to do something a certain way. But Jesus has a greater plan in mind. How many of you know that his ways are higher than our ways? I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Sometimes we want things to be solved in a certain way. Sometimes we want things to happen in a certain order. And then after the fact, maybe five years, ten years down the road, maybe an hour later, we're like, I'm so glad it didn't work out that way. I'm so glad that it worked out this way instead. I didn't want that way, but that way was so much better. That's how it is with the will of God. Amen? And so his plan is greater. John uh, chapter 12 and verse 16 says at first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. See, so many times we have this idea that God has, has to come and rescue us and answer prayer in the way that you and I think we, that he should. But again, the Lord always knows best. See, God's ways, like I said, are higher than our ways. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling scripture and bringing peace may not have been what they wanted, wanted, but it was exactly what they needed because by doing so, we know that the second thing I want you to pick up on there is that Jesus proclaims himself as king by doing that. Rode into, into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, signifying peace, and here he is proclaiming himself as king. And listen, how many of you know that with God, the details matter? The details matter. By riding in on a donkey, the people perceived weakness. And yet we know that the donkey was actually a, a royal steed in the Old Testament. Kings actually rode donkeys on occasion. If you look through, there's a, an episode where Absalom usurped the kingdom from his father, King David. And the first thing that he did was to get the royal donkey and ride through the streets on the donkey. And so again, the, the donkey was actually a sign of being a king. 
And so right here, Jesus is proclaiming himself to be king, and yet he doesn't bring a mighty army. He doesn't even bring weapons of war. And listen, this is no small thing. Instead, he comes meek and lowly, offering peace. In Matthew 21, verse 11, the crowds declared Jesus to be the prophet of Nazareth. But listen, that's not what Jesus claimed for himself. It's not, you see, Jesus Christ was more than a moral character and more than just a prophet. How many of you know that? He's more than just a moral character or a prophet. He was and is the king and the Messiah. And here he was proclaiming that this is exactly who he was during his life and his ministry. Jesus consistently demonstrated true authority. And so Jesus had and still has all authority over nature, all authority over demons, all authority over sickness, all authority over death. He spoke with authority and not just like someone who memorized all the right things to say. He protected people from storms and waves. He healed them from blindness, leprosy, fevers. He set them free from evil spirits and demons and more. At Jesus' word, the devil left him after tempting him in the wilderness. Check that out. Again, sometimes we read scripture very surfacely. But after being tempted, after the devil doing all of this, he said, now you have to leave, devil. And the devil had to leave. I want you to pick up on that because you and I have that same authority in the name of Jesus. It's not a maybe. It's not a you have to beg the devil. You have to. No, 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 no. You have authority over him because of Jesus. Amen. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead resides inside of you this morning in 2023. Amen. He did all of that. All authority. He's the king of kings. And so nature had to obey him. Because nature is under his authority. The devil and his demons had to obey him because they're also under his authority. The same with sickness and disease. They're fully under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to get that. Listen, there's a lot of folks that are sick in our church right now. And if you're listening right now on the live stream or if you're here this morning and, and you push through and you're not feeling well, we have authority over sickness and we have to take and exercise that authority. Amen? I know some people don't believe that. They're like, we just have to tolerate. We have to deal. No, no, no. You lay hands on yourself. You declare healing over yourself. It was purchased for you. Healing has been provided for you. And sometimes you got to tell your symptoms like I did this weekend, like others of you have done, is that you know what? I don't serve you. I don't have to bow to you. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. He has purchased a price for my salvation. He has also provided healing for me and for you. And so this morning you can say, I stand on the word of God. I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. And just as God, the creator, spoke to the universe, spoke the universe into existence in Genesis Everything under Jesus' authority must obey and comply with whatever he speaks because, again, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I know this messes with us because we see political candidates who, man, we could care less what they say. They say one thing and do another, but we're not talking about a human or political candidate. We are talking about God, the creator. We are talking of the, about the one who left all of heaven, came to earth, and was born in human body, paid the price for your and my salvation through everything that he went through on that cross, through everything that he went through on that first Passion Week. And today, he... he 
we have authority because of Jesus and we're able to experience freedom and victory and all that he has for us because of who he is. Listen, the early Christians, they understood this. Their creed after Jesus died and rose again was Jesus is Lord. The word Lord meant absolute authority. And so it wasn't just a title or a fancy way to say, Mr. Jesus. Instead, when they confessed Jesus is Lord, they were actually proclaiming his complete authority over everything in this world. And this proclamation got many of them killed, actually, because at the time, we know politically that Caesar was the Lord. And so this Christian proclamation about Christ was actually punishable by death, labeled as treason. While Jesus was brutal against severe weather, against demons, against sickness, uh, he was loving, welcoming, and very direct with people because he loved his creation. Amen? Why again? Because John 3.17 says, God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so Jesus, he used his authority to save. His authority was used to heal, to make people whole. Praise God, he can still do that today. Anybody believe that he can still do those things today? Listen, we, we, we know he never used his authority for selfish gain, for selfish purposes, or unwarranted displays of power. Instead, he always uses authority and his power to humbly demonstrate the way, uh, of, the way of God's self-giving love. Again, in ways that were consistent with his mission, he came to seek and to save the lost. Again, Jesus has all authority. He put that on display by riding a donkey, by bringing peace, and in the process, proclaiming himself as king. But don't forget, he did this during a very dangerous season. Again, his disciples did not want him to go to Jerusalem. And so on this first Palm Sunday, we can also see that Jesus truly is courageous. Jesus is courageous. How do we know this? Jesus' uh, entrance into Jerusalem had been planned, and so it wasn't on a whim. He was obeying the Father. He wasn't going to be deterred by what the disciples wanted him or didn't want him to do. And so before Jesus rode into town, we know that he needed a donkey. And so he sent the disciples to fetch the ones he had in mind. He gave them instructions that if anyone questioned why they wanted the donkey, donkeys, Matthew 21 and verse 3 again, it says that they were simply to say what? The Lord needs them. He needs them. Well, Mark tells us that the village where the donkey and the cult was acquired was Bethany right, where Jesus recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And so how many of you know that if you probably raised someone from the dead, you would be a, a very well-known person? If you took and there was somebody who was uh, in the grave visibly, clearly dead, the stone had been rolled, the body is rotting, there is a smell permeating, it is real, it happened. But Jesus came to, to town and because he's the author of life, because he's the one who creates, he's able to, when, when this body fails us, he's able to breathe life into it. He did that to Lazarus, he, he, he raised him up from the dead and those people, I think they knew about Jesus. I think so. And so when the people heard that Jesus needed something from them, I think 
they were like, yeah, I think we're going to do that. This is, this is the guy that did that. This is the one who, 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 you know, raised Lazarus. Listen, the timing was perfect. Jesus knew that Jerusalem would be crowded with pilgrims from, for Passover. This is part of the reason the disciples didn't want him to go. They're like, there's going to be so many people there, Lord, that something could happen, you know. Uh, you know, we are not fully prepared to protect you. We, are, we don't know what's going to happen. Don't go there, Jesus. And yet he does, knowing that on this Passover, there was going to be pilgrims, hundreds, thousands. The law required all adult Jewish males who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem to come to Passover there. And so Jesus again knew this. And not only did they come, but many Jews from all over the known world traveled to Jerusalem for this very festival. And so Jerusalem was going to be jam-packed. Tens of thousands of expectant visitors focused all on the Passover, and Jesus knew all about it. This was perfect timing for Jesus to make a statement, fulfilling scripture for all to see. Wasn't going to hide it. Remember the Jewish leaders, they were already plotting to kill Jesus. They hated that he was drawing crowds, challenging their authority. They especially hated some of his bold claims. And so the most dangerous way Jesus could enter the city was in broad daylight with a lot of attention and noise from thousands of spectators, and yet that's exactly what he did. I'm sure the disciples were like, let's, let's go at night, Jesus. Let's, why don't we wait? Why don't we, you're in a hurry, Jesus. Why do we have to go now? And he was determined. He knew what he had to do. So Jesus courageously made himself the sacrificial lamb, entering into that city, knowing exactly what was held in store for him. He knew that those who hated him and wanted him dead were going to be triggered. And yet his actions and decisions were based on doing God's will rather than on how men in power were going to react because at the end of the day, God's power is greater. Jesus was courageous. We can see him as the courageous king in our text. He calls us to be courageous as we live our lives for him too. In fact, to be courageous is to be Christ-like. Listen, you and I, we live in 2023, and we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be bound by anxiety. We don't have to be bound by any previous or past failures. We don't have to allow criticism to hold us in a place where we just can't even move or take the next step because the reality is Jesus was courageous and if Jesus lives in you and I this morning, you and I can be courageous. Listen, as you think about the courage that Jesus displayed during his ministry on earth, and if you're a Christ follower right now, don't forget, I said it before, that the same Holy Spirit that led Jesus to Jerusalem and to the cross is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you right now. Right now. And so listen, we should honor God by our courage this, this Palm Sunday. Let's imagine that Jesus has arrived offering peace, proclaiming himself as king, displaying great courage on the cross in the process. In fact, recognize that Jesus has all authority and he displayed great courage to help lead us to a place where everyone, every single one of us has to come to terms with Jesus Christ and what he means in our personal lives. And so number three, a question that has been asked from the beginning, a question we should ask ourselves today, 
Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? In Matthew 21, 8, the very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. As Jesus entered again, this was a reception reserved only for a king. Again, Jesus, however, had no intention of, of taking political power like most kings do. He was only interested in becoming the king of their hearts, the king inside each and every person, because his kingdom was not of this world. And so the Bible tells us that they shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. That comes from the Psalm 118, and that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Remember, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Again, Matthew 21.10 says, When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the whole city, city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? Remember, there were tens of thousands of visitors on that day. Many had yet to be exposed who Jesus really was. And so this is why they asked who he was. And yet Matthew 21 and verse 11, the local crowds, the locals, they answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That sounds nice. They recognized him as a good man, as a prophet. The crowds called Jesus a prophet because, again, they did not fully understand him. But those closest to Jesus, those who spent time with him, those who listened to him, those who engaged with him, those who learned to obey him, they knew exactly who he was. Again, the question is, who is Jesus to you this morning? See, he was not just a prophet. He was not just a moral character. He was more than that. He was not just an earthly king. He was beyond an earthly king. See, those who knew him well, they called him Messiah. They called him the Son of God who came into the world to save it, not to condemn it. People like Martha in John chapter 11 and verse 27 said, You are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. People like Peter in Matthew 16, 16, 16, who said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And there were people uh, like the people, uh, uh, the Samaritans in John chapter 4 and verse uh, 42, who actually spent two days with Jesus. And after spending two days with Jesus said, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. These, these were not even his people. These were the Gentiles. Spending time with Jesus will give you a revelation of who he really is. We need to know that. Listen, all these people had that revelation and it touched them personally. He came on the scene and offered people what they needed, not necessarily what they wanted. Worship team, come. And listen, Jesus is here on this Palm Sunday right now. And so the question for you and I is the same as it was then. Who do you say that Jesus is? I, I want to I move into this a little bit because sometimes we're very quick to say Jesus is God. Well, Jesus, he, you know, I even know people who, who you know, would say they know the story of Jesus. They know that he came. They, they know that he died, that he died on the cross. And, and they'll say, yes, I know that he came. He died. He, he rose again from the grave. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Uh, it's awesome. But it hasn't impacted them personally. Did you know that you could know the gospel up here 
and not know it in here? Who do you say that Jesus is? We can have a head knowledge of who he is. We can read the Gospels. We can get into the Scriptures and, and read it like a, like a book. It's just a book. It's just a, just a book of stories. Jesus, yes, he, he's God, but there are other gods. There are other ways, are there? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a prophet? Was he just a moral teacher? A God among many gods, maybe? Is he just an idea to make us feel guilty about sin so we can earn our forgiveness from God? Is he a magic genie that you want to use to get your three wishes? Or is he your Lord, your Savior, your absolute authority? C.S. Lewis said this, Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something else worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. And so we have a decision to make, right? This Palm Sunday, we've talked about Jesus, the courageous king. There's a huge difference between those who want Jesus, again, to fit into this, their self-centered ideas of who he is to them and those who will say, I surrender all to Jesus. He is my savior. He is my king. He is my Lord. Would you stand to your feet? Listen, my prayer as we observe Passion Week is that you and I would go deeper in our understanding of His sacrifice for us so that it leads us to live holy and abundant lives for our resurrected and courageous King. He's, he's the courageous King, amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the reminders that you give us that, Lord, we get so caught up with the cares of this world. We get caught up with doing this and that in our own way. But, Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for us. Again, even as we approach Good Friday, even as we get ready to celebrate Easter, that you're alive, that you're living, that you're moving, that you're working I pray, Lord, that we would allow you to live in us, to work in us, to move in us, to change us, to make us more like you. And so, Lord, have your way. Touch every life. Touch every person, God. In Jesus' name, amen.